Tennessee football entering year three of Josh Heupel. What does the former Tennessee great offensive lineman think about the progress so far and where Tennessee's headed as a program? Ramon Foster joins the show here on a Thursday. Locked on balls. You are locked on balls. Your daily podcast on the Tennessee volunteers. Part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. Hey everybody, happy Thursday and welcome into it. This is Locked on Balls and I'm your host Eric Kane. Appreciate you guys taking the time and joining me here today. Shout out everydayers. Appreciate you guys coming back and subscribing and following us at Locked on Balls on the YouTube channel and wherever you find your podcasts for making Locked on Balls your first listen. Got a fun show coming up here today. We're going to talk with Ramon Foster, former Tennessee offensive lineman, former Pittsburgh Steelers offensive lineman, and now radio host over at 104.5 The Zone in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, all things Tennessee with Ramon. Going to catch up and look ahead to 2023. Talk to our lock on Mizzou host, John Miller. So that's what you have to look forward to here on a Thursday show. Without further ado, let's bring on the man, Ramon Foster. What's up, buddy? Appreciate you taking the time. No doubt, E. Kane. I appreciate you having me on, man. Anytime we can talk sports, I'm here for it. Well, I, I know I talk Tennessee football every day. I know you talk Tennessee football almost every single day, but. Um, we don't get to do it together a lot of the times. And I, I just kind of want to get your thoughts. You know, obviously last year was a good year and the offseason and everything. And now we're getting closer to 2023 season. Kind of what's your expectations for Tennessee football year three with Josh Heupel? But kind of a, a reload, if you will, losing a lot of guys. Man, my expectations for him is just continue on the trajectory. Uh, I think hover around the same amount of wins that you had last year. Continue to develop guys. And this is my biggest thing to him. And it may just be uh, a hope uh, situation for me is I hope that the guys that, you know, they send to the NFL draft are guys that you come back or, or scouts say those are well-taught guys. I think that is the biggest part that comes down to college football to me is development, especially when you're trying to sell recruiting, especially when you're trying to compete with a bunch of teams, too, as far as prospects wins, losses, and just being in the SEC in general, it's got to be the same standard, I think, moving forward uh, because you, you've kind of said it that way. And I think the, the last thing, too, for me is exactly what has been the last couple of years, and that's all Tennessee fans have been asking for. Keep it exciting. Keep it exciting. Like, it's one thing to lose, but it's one thing to lose bad and you don't look like you're in the game at all. Uh, the one thing I can say about the team the last couple of years is – you got what you were looking for as far as points being able to be put up on the board and also development. Those two things have got to be at the forefront moving forward. You have a master's degree in offensive line play, did it for 10 plus years in the National Football League and of course here at Tennessee at a high level. Um, when you were at the spring game, when you came up for some practices, Tennessee's obviously having to replace some 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 key guys. Darnell Wright, first of all, how how cool was it for you to see Darnell Wright go 10th or top 10 in the NFL draft? It was huge for Darnell Wright, man. Going to the Bears, a top 10 pick, uh, a guy that you knew he had everything in him to, to, to be that type of guy, but to actually see it come to reality for him was huge. Uh, met him a few times, had conversation with him, and just an all-around great dude that knows how to play football. And um, – they got a good one. I'm looking forward to watching him in the preseason, seeing the reports about him. But it also just set a precedence for everybody behind him. You, I know we're going to talk about the OL right now. Javante Spragg, like he's a guy that's been on some lists already. 
Mays has been on the list already. Like they got some guys <clears throat> that can really make a lot of money for themselves this year. Considering if Darnell goes in and do what he's supposed to do too, you can be one of those schools to, and to be a top 10 pick after two years on an hypo system says a lot. E. Kane. It says a lot. Really does, and that's right. Chicago had the ninth pick. They traded back, and still we're going to get Darnell right. Top 10 pick. Really, really good stuff. But as you mentioned, Javante Spragans, Cooper Mays, uh, they're coming back. They've been three-year starters, and that's great. Yeah. Uh, Tennessee's got to replace Darnell. they got to replace Jerome Carvin, who was underrated his entire time here at Tennessee. What did you see from that offensive line play when you were in attendance a couple times this spring? And um, you know, not, not that it's a finished product by any stretch of the imagination, but right. are they – you know, how close do you think they are to kind of figuring it out? What I saw was a bunch of competition and drive from that group uh, in the spring game. You can tell that group is is close. Um, just watching them around the facility, you can tell they take pride in it. And Coach Ellerby does, too. That's the part that's most fascinating to me. He understands that's his baby, that offensive line is. He must curate those guys. He must develop those guys and push them forward. You got that. You got that from Cooper. You got that from Spragans when you see him on the field and he's leading through emotions. Like those types of things matter, especially for guys who are transfers is looking to come in and start. And also for the young guys, too, that got to find their way on that team. Like, who do you follow? Well, you follow the guys that are leading out front. And Coop and, and Spragans being one of those guys is huge for this offense. And I say this, too, with as an eccentric style offense that hyper runs those guys still get an opportunity to feast. Those guys still get an opportunity to do what they like doing best, and that's running the ball. I didn't know how Heifel and his staff is going to make that work as far as the offense that they run through the air and being able to capitalize on the ground, but it has worked. Guys were able to eat really good uh, last year as far as the run game, and it looks to be the same way coming out of the spring game, too. There is an emphasis on playing big man ball with this group despite what the uh, air numbers look like as far as passing through the air. John Campbell coming over, and the thought is that, you know, it's, again, not a finished product, but he's going to be your left tackle this year from Miami. And then flipping sides, Gerald Mincy, J.J. Crawford from left to right, neither one of them really took control of the job last year, but Tennessee still led the nation in offense, kind of, you know, playing 50-50 at that left tackle spot. How difficult is it to flip from one side to the other? And what's this say about John Campbell that he's kind of coming in here and, you know, uh, two guys that helped lead the nation in offense last year, he's going to take their spot essentially. I think it speaks volumes with John yeah. Campbell and his potential. John Campbell, number one, heard great things about it. Saw him up there on campus too. Looks the part. He's very, very passionate about being good, man. That's one thing I noticed about the young guy, man, is he wants to play. He didn't come from Miami to just sit around and watch other guys go in front of him, and that's great for us. I, I'd say this when it comes down to Mincy and others trying to vie for a spot. That could be a good thing because at the end of the day, the best man will win. So if they're in a competition to try to figure out who's going to be the starting right tackle or who's going to play in general, whether that's changing positions or whether that's just them getting on the field, Competition brings the best out of guys, and that's what you're looking for. Uh, and the other thing of it, too, uh, E.K., you mentioned a second ago, um, the idea of switching sides. It's hard only if you fight it. If you tell yeah. yourself, look, I just want to be on the field. That's one of the things I had to do when I went to the NFL. I played right for the most part of my career, uh, and I also played tackle. I said to myself, either, look, I can try to be an NFL tackle or I can play guard and move over to the left side. So what had happened with me? 
what's reps, what's understanding. Yes, this sucks for a little while, but guess what? If you want to play, you're going to move over and transition, and it's just reps. Like I used to walk up and down the field, putting my left hand down, getting the left hand in the stands just to get used to what the feeling felt like. And those are the types of things you need to be able to, you know, pass on to guys. If they were to reach out and ask me, I'd be like, it's as simple, it's, it's, it's simple as like walking up and down the street. You got to create a habit and to transition yourself over from a right side guy or from a left side guy to a right side guy. It can be done. Great stuff here from Ramon Foster as always the VFL. One more question for you, man. And I, again, I appreciate the time um, without getting, you know, we could talk about this for an hour, but the game, not the game, the sport, I guess, of college athletics, everything yeah. or college football, everything that goes into college football nowadays, it is so much different from when you were here, from when you were playing. Um, you know, could you ever coach having to deal with, you know, recruiting and na now name, image, and likeness and transfer portal? And I just feel like if you are a head coach, you yeah. are just strictly a GM, which is why for me it's so impressive watching Josh Heupel work because. He's calling plays. He's over there coaching like crazy. And, I mean, that's that's still the root of everything that he does. Man, could I coach in this era or would I? Both questions. Um, I think I could because I'm pro the things that they're doing. NIL, I'm for it. As I said before, as a guy that, um, that had to stay up in Knoxville for Christmas because I didn't have any money to go home, that matters to me, seeing those guys get some money back or at least just having a couple hundred dollars in their pockets when you know there's millions being made. Uh, the idea that I would have to just be brutally honest with guys, I'm not sure if the players that they want me to recruit, they will like my approach to what I would tell them and the idea that, look, you still got to go prove it. This money is only as good as your play. So if you got 100000 a year of one and you only give us 200 yards in 12 games, you're going to have to take a hit in this. And that's all a part of it, too. You have to be business-minded. You got to be savvy in your approach to doing that. This past week or just the other day, ON3 had a NIL conference here in Nashville. And from my understanding, the guys that had conversations with those prospects that were in town, they're a little bit more savvy than I was. Uh, the parents are more involved with understanding what money is, uh, how soon they need to say no, what's a good deal, don't sign every single deal. All of those things matter in today's game. And I think we've gotten to a part now to where you, you've honestly um, progressed enough. Guys talk a lot as far as being on social media from one prospect class to another class to say, how did you manage this NIL deal? Why did you not take this NIL deal to where I honestly do think it'll be more seamless than we give it credit for. I think the coaches barking around the conversation are the ones that aren't used to this type of stuff happening. And those coaches will probably find themselves out of the game if they do not adjust. They're waiting for, you know, the government to come in and regulate this. Sometimes you just got to get in the, in, in the pig pen with those types of guys and play the game until you figure it out in the end. And um, that's essentially what it's turned into. But I would love this era of uh, coaching and, and having to recruit because what you don't have, you honestly even the playing field with the collectives. And I think that is the biggest factor now moving forward, especially for starving fan bases that do it right. Ramon Foster, you can hear him every single morning on 104.5 The Zone with Ramon, Kayla, and Will. That's the morning show. Uh, appreciate it as always, man. Thanks so much. No doubt, E. Kane, anytime. All right, that is VFL and former Pittsburgh Steeler greats. 
Ramon Foster taking a couple of minutes joining us here on Locked On Balls. Hey, when we come back, we'll catch up with uh, John Miller. Take a look at the Missouri Tigers here from this spring practice or post-spring practice here in the spring. And uh, then we'll talk a little Josiah Jordan James coming back for a fifth year. Yeah, caught everybody by surprise. That is coming up in segment number three. But hey, I want to remind you guys about a proud sponsor of the show. That is FanDuel Sportsbook. Uh, make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That is $2,500 back in bonus bet if your first bet doesn't win. They have awesome promotions going on every single day over at FanDuel Sportsbook, and it's on a safe and secure, easy-to-use app where you get paid instantly. You don't have to wait around for the end of the week, the end of the month, whatever the case is, like on some other sports books. No, no, no. It's instantly over at FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to bet on the, all the playoff action than at America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get a no sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's at FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. Welcome back into your Thursday edition of Locked On Vols. Appreciate you guys being here. And now we're going to take a look at uh, Tennessee's 2023 opponents. Continue that series. And today we will look at the Missouri Tigers. Missouri, uh, when you look at uh, the schedule for Tennessee upcoming in 2023, uh, it's uh, it's the game that's going to be well into the season, looking into November, on November the 11th, and it's going to be on the road as Missouri was in Knoxville last season for Senior Day, but it'll be on the road in Como, and uh, it'll be on November the 11th. So I want to welcome to the show a host of Locked On Mizzou, John Miller, to talk all things Tigers here today. John, what's up, man? Oh, not too much, Eric. Good, uh, good to talk to you as always. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Um, kind of what's the feel? What's the vibe for Missouri post-spring practice? I know Missouri had one of the earlier spring practices, kind of that window yeah. uh, in the SEC. I want to I want to say that the the spring game was had to had to be moved indoors because of snow. I'm pretty sure Tennessee baseball was up there that week, and that was a disastrous weekend as well. But <laughs> w- what's kind of the the mood around the Missouri football program this spring? Well, you know, it's a little bit weird in terms of Missouri football. That's the vibe I get around Columbia anyway, and, and I think you touched on it a little bit. Certainly, part of it is that indeed the spring game was moved indoors. That's always a good thing to obviously, you know, get hype, get fans excited for the upcoming season. And typically it's usually, you know, a lot of positive reactions out of spring football. You can kind of see whatever you want to see since your offense is playing your defense, right? You can take a positive take if that's your kind of deal. But overall, it's been really interesting because Missouri's basketball team had such an a surprisingly exciting season last year in Dennis Gates first year. I actually think that's taken a bit of a shine off the football program here in the offseason and that plus a, a, a potential quarterback, you know, battle here that, you know, not nobody's totally satisfied with Brady Cook. It doesn't seem like I tend to defend him more than most, but I, you know, I just think there's a lot of reasons that people have soured on the Missouri program a little bit here. It's kind of the show me attitude here at the moment, Eric. Yeah, going on that quarterback competition Brady Cook, you know, in a game uh, in Knoxville last year, uh, put up some points. Not hard to do against Tennessee's pass defense. I understand that, but saw some ability, saw some athletic ability there. Um, he's got the most experience, obviously, but you mentioned uh, a quarterback battle. Incoming transfer from Miami, Jake Garcia, Sam Horn, former Tennessee recruit target, is going to be in that conversation. How realistic is this an actual competition, or is it just to put pressure on Brady Cook? 
You know, I think it's definitely a competition at, at first glance, for sure. I think maybe the cynic would tell you that, well, Eli Drinkwitz tends to, at least so far in his relatively short Missouri career here, has tended to sort of stick with the more experienced player at that position for the most part, even through some fairly significant injuries. As we saw Brady Cook played through last year, he had a labrum injury all of last season. Seems to be recovered from off-season surgery now, but also Brady missed spring ball. But I, I do think it's a possibility, although if I were handicapping it, I would give Brady Cook the edge right now. I felt like the last few games of the season, when Eli Drinkwitz actually gave up play calling duties well I think that's where Cook and Missouri probably played its best offensive football toward the end of the year Tigers got a new offensive coordinator and Kirby Moore so you know optimistically hopefully that'll open some things up for the Tiger offense this year Lose your top wide receiver, Dominic Lovett. He transfers to Georgia, but you do return Luther Burden, who's the former five-star prospect. Uh, what's the weapons looking like for Missouri's offense this year and what will be year number three for uh, Eli Drinkwitz? Yeah, well, you know, the, the Dominic Lovett transfer was pretty devastating at the time, to be honest. It was emotionally devastating, maybe not 100% devastating on the football field, but he's a really good player, and that definitely hurts Missouri. Though, in theory, Luther Burden will be able to slide over into Lovett's slot position and maybe get a decent amount of his production. You know, Lovett did have a real big breakout season as a true sophomore last year. Certainly, it's really realistic to think that Burden can do the same. But to go back to your original question about the sort of energy around the Missouri program right now, this is now the second year in a row that Missouri has lost what I would say is its best true freshman to the transfer portal. The two, I shouldn't say true freshman because Lovett was a, there's two guys from the same class, the 2021 class. Previously, it was Makai Wingo, a defensive lineman, transfers to LSU. Then this season, Lovett to Georgia. As a Missouri fan, that's tough to take, you know, seeing two of your best guys in that particular class leave for rival programs so I think that has a lot to do with the attitude around some people's maybe waning interest at least in the off-season discussion of this program when you look defensively there's I, I, I'm not gonna act like I'm an expert on Missouri's defense there are some names that I remember from of course Tennessee playing Missouri the last couple of years Tyron Hopper the, the linebacker I know he's a good player um, just one of those guys but it feels like there's some buzz and some and some chatter about Missouri's defense about how it can be maybe top half of the SEC and take a big step this year. Are you kind of feeling that? Well, I think so for sure. I, I would argue they were a top half SEC defense last season. And considering how much production, returning production, the Tigers have coming back, especially in the back seven there in the defensive backfield in particular, I think that Missouri pass defense should be quite good once again. I think really the only time Missouri really got exploited, I think, through the air was, well, you guessed it, against the Tennessee Volunteers. I really think the Tigers, though, have one of the absolute best cornerback tandems in the conference in Chris Abrams Drain and Ennis Rakestraw. What I thought you saw last year was about at least three different times I saw Missouri safeties, three different safeties, in fact, get beat over the top by Tennessee in that explosive pass passing offense that they have. So to me, in that back end, you'll just have more experience at most of those spots. The only question really is there's a couple edge rushers 
that moved on. Isaiah McGuire was an mm-hmm. NFL draft pick, you know, just a month in this past month or so. So there's a question there. But again, I do just think Missouri is so good on the outside there with their corners that maybe traditional pass rush isn't quite as important for them as it would be for most teams because, well, I think they'll be able to bring extra blitzers with somewhat of impunity. I think we saw that quite a bit last year. Look at Missouri's 2023 schedule. Open up with South Dakota, the Middle Tennessee in week two, Kansas State. Uh, that'll be a toughie in, in week three, Memphis in week four. Then you get in the SEC slate, uh, going on the road at Vanderbilt. That's a good opener for any SEC team. LSU at Kentucky, South Carolina. Uh, then then your, your, your bye week comes a little later in the season, but boy, you rest up because then you're going to Georgia, playing Tennessee, playing uh, Florida, and then going to Arkansas to end the regular season. Looks like it's a pretty tough stretch to end the season, but an uh, opportunity to get off to a good start uh, if you're Missouri. Yeah, no doubt about it. And Missouri had a, an early game at Manhattan, Kansas, against Kansas State last year. And again, that was the game where Brady Cook hurt his shoulder. It was just kind of a disaster, really, offensively from the word go from the Tigers. I think the hope is, obviously, this season, you got them in Columbia this year. And by the way, Missouri got better after that Kansas State game. You look at Missouri overall last year, a 6-7 and seven record, including a bowl, a bowl defeat to Wake Forest at the end of the year. Not all that impressive, but then you really look at some of the results, some really fluky losses, at least a couple fluky losses. And don't forget, they gave Georgia all they could handle in Columbia last season. So there's definitely an argument to be made that this is the type of Missouri team that can outperform expectations this coming fall. All right, John, closing remarks. Thoughts on Eli Drinkwood so far? Everybody's still on board with him. Um, I I think that he's a... I think he's a good offensive mind, um, you know, from afar. Again, I'm not I'm not there on the on the on the beat every day, but it seems like he he talks a lot and says a lot of things. Sometimes it kind of comes back to bite him. But as far as Drinkwitz as a coach, I know we got that extension in November, so it seems like administration's you know on board and believing in him. What what's the vibe with the fan base with the head coach Eli Drinkwitz? Well, I think this is a really important year for Drinkwitz. Not to say that he's necessarily going to be gone after this year if Missouri goes six and six again, but I, I do think another five hundred type campaign would just be be really tough to be almost tough to 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 justify bringing him back. Although, again, like I said, with that contract extension, I don't really see a financial path to getting rid of him after this year. It almost just seems like it'd be better for Missouri if he just completely tanked or went, you know, eight and four. So maybe we would at least get some type of clarity. To your point about Drinkwitz being a good offensive mind, I generally would agree with that. And I think when he started his Missouri career, I think he did a great job with what he had to work with for the Tigers. But I do think the job of being a head coach has changed so much over these Mm -hmm. past couple seasons post-pandemic. Of course, the pandemic season was Drinkwitz's first year. There's now you basically have to be a general manager now and know rosters of the entire landscape of college football. You basically have to re-recruit your own roster every year with for all intents and purposes. So I do think Drinkwitz offense last year in particular became a little bit stale. And I think just freeing him up, the guy he's there's only 24 hours in a day, you know, seven days in a week, all that stuff. So I just think freeing up his time, bringing in some new ideas in theory, should be nothing but good for this program. So this will be year four for Eli Drinkwitz. I was thinking that he was 
uh, in that class with uh, Beamer and Heupel. And uh, I think, of course, Napier going into year two. But it'll be year number four for Eli Drinkwitz. Yep. And, uh, John, appreciate it, man. Anything you guys want to know, any preview on um, – what, what I like to say is, like, anytime, you know, Missouri and Tennessee are playing in football or – uh, in basketball, sometimes even in baseball, you want to get the scout on the opponents, go check out any of other Locked On uh, podcasts and the network on the College Channel, and John does an awesome job with Locked On Mizzou. Appreciate it, man, as always. Thanks so much. Appreciate you. Thanks, man. All right, guys, welcome back into it, your Thursday edition of Locked On Vols. You want to talk about a busy day? Wednesday was a busy day. It's like every time I sat down to do something or record something, something else newsworthy would happen. And so I kind of had the show mapped out a little bit, knew I was going to talk to Ramon Foster, knew I was going to talk to John, and so I had those kind of scheduled out, and I did those earlier in the day, and then I'm sitting down here to you know finish off the show, and Josiah Jordan James says that he's coming back. Tennessee football kickoff times for three games um, uh, were, were announced, and it's like, well, gosh, if, if some of this were happening, I would have altered the show a little bit, but hey, sometimes that's just how it is. Sometimes that's, uh, that, that's what it is to be in this industry, and uh, there was no short of news uh, surely on Wednesday here in the Tennessee Knoxville market. Um, yeah, let's start with Josiah Jordan James. I feel like that's, you know, I know this is a football show, but I feel like this is the bigger news, obviously, than a couple of kickoff times that, you know, to me, it doesn't really matter, but whatevs. Um, Josiah Jordan James, total shocking turn of events. Seriously. He is going to be back on Tennessee's basketball team next year. What this means is Tennessee's backcourt. It's one of the most explosive, one of the most experienced, one of the most, um, you know, stat-wise, the be- one of the best backcourts in all the SECs. The guy Ziegler, Santiago Vescovi returns. Now you have, obviously, Josiah Jordan James. You go out and add from the transfer portal and Chris Ledlam down low. I know I'm talking backcourt right now, but Ledlam down low. Ganey, um, Connect. Of course, you got Freddie DeLoyne, who's going to, you know, step up and play a big role for Tennessee this year. That backcourt, wow. And then, of course, the versatility with Josiah Jordan James. He can play the four when Tennessee wants to go small, and he's such a great defender. Pretty much, he's been going through the NBA draft process. He got a G, G League camp invite and all that type of stuff, and he was trying to go get some feedback, and uh, you know, apparently he didn't get the feedback that he liked, didn't feel comfortable continuing to go through uh, the uh, NBA draft process, knowing that a couple of teams expressed interest in you know maybe signing him into a two-way deal. Uh, but there was no guarantees or anything. So Josiah Jordan James essentially makes the decision to try to come back to Tennessee. And, and talking with people who cover the program on a daily basis, like Rob Lewis over at VolQuest.com, Grant Ramey, my, co- my co-workers over there, um, you know, th- th- this was something that really wasn't a possibility until this weekend. And then on Tuesday, it became a real big possibility. And on Wednesday, it happened. I mean, we're sitting here, and and I'm going about my day on Wednesday, and I, I see the announcement, and I'm like, wow, because I, I gotta I gotta be honest with you guys. There's news, and then there's breaking news. Uh, very rarely, or is there news that media doesn't know about first, especially if you cover recruiting, especially if you cover, you know, the day to day, the roster stuff. Um, typically, we know we know this. It's about to happen. We're waiting on the prospect to announce or the transfer to announce or Tennessee to announce on something a lot of the time. Now, breaking news is something completely different. I mean, I'm not trying to say that, you know, people in this industry, if you're good at your job, you know everything because you certainly don't. But usually when there's roster movements, you know, we know about it. And then we have all of our stuff ready. When the kid announces, when the kid makes his, you know, post or whatever, you, you throw out all your stuff. Um, I'm sitting here 
and I see Josiah Jordan James, and he's like, let's run it back. And then he, you know, posts all that stuff on Twitter. I'm like, what? And so I get with all the guys, and I'm like, did you see this? Or like, uh, so, you know, in, in typical, you know, our publications, no different than anybody else's, you know, scrambling to get stuff done and, and uh, get things written and get things posted. And so we got it up there in a hurry. But I mean, um, because it, it just, you know, the, the numbers were set. Tennessee had finality to its roster. Uh, BJ Edwards into the portal. Your numbers were back down to 13. You were set. It was over. And so because of that, and to my understanding, because Josiah Jordan James stepped away from the program, took time away from the team, and he's exhausted four years of eligibility, knowing you have a COVID year of eligibility remaining, for him to come back, he would have to be a walk-on because the scholarships are full. You're, you're, it's final. And so that looks like the route that it's going to take. Now, we're not naive here, guys. We know name, image, and likeness is out there now, and it's legal, and and there can be some things for him there. So I, and I would expect that to be the case. But, I mean, this is it's, it's not just cut and dry, you know, black and white, boom, bang, bang. That, that's how it happened. I, there's a lot of uncertainties out there, I would imagine, for Josiah Jordan James. So um, interesting stuff. Tennessee's basketball team just got a whole lot better. And sure, has Josiah been a bust? Absolutely not. Has he been everything that you thought the five-star prospect would be when he came in as a true freshman a couple years ago? Absolutely not. But he's turned into a good defender. He's turned into having a really good shot. He's turned into being a versatile player, you know, both both in short lineups and small lineups and and staying out there on the wing. And, you know, he he Tennessee just got a whole lot better, basically. So um, interesting stuff. Interesting, interesting stuff, and um, you know, I, I think if you're a Tennessee fan, you will take that in a heartbeat, having Josiah Jordan James surprising everybody and coming back to the University of Tennessee. Um, other news that came out in terms of football on a Wednesday as we kind of you know bring our show to a close here. You had uh, on Tuesday of this week the CBS SEC on TBS schedule was released, some of the games. And you notice that on September the 16th, it was not Tennessee and Florida that was going to be the SEC game of the week on CBS. Um, and so you knew that wasn't going to be the 330 time slot. Tennessee releases TV destinations and times for the first three weeks of the season. And uh, Tennessee and Florida on September the 16th will be a 7 o'clock game, and that will be played on ESPN. So Tennessee and Florida, 7 o'clock in the swamp, much like in 2021. Uh, that'll be on ESPN. Tennessee will open the season against Virginia, obviously in Nashville. And that game is going to be at noon on ABC. So <laughs> it's going to be an 11 a.m. local time kick at a neutral site playing Virginia. I mean, I, again, we, we <laughs> this isn't new that you know Tennessee is playing Virginia. We've known this for months and months and months. We've known this. But... It was always stupid that you were playing in Nashville, in my opinion, okay? And it's even stupider that it's going to be an 11 a.m. local time kick. Just preposterous stupid. I mean, now I'm going to have to go down the night before. Ridiculous. I'm going to have to go down, spend a hotel room the night before. I mean, uh, anyway, uh, so that that's that. That's going to be on ABC, noon Eastern time kick, 11 a.m. local time against Virginia. I mentioned the Florida game, and then, of course, Tennessee's home opener on September the 9th against Austin P. It will be televised on the SEC Network Plus. That's that one game of the year that has to be streamed. Uh, there has not been an announced kickoff time to date. So that's what we know so far. Uh, so far, 
Um, I'm, I'm kind of glad that Tennessee Florida is a night game, and I'm glad it's on ESPN because, of course, if you couldn't have the 3:30 time slot, much better than noon. But you're not going to put Tennessee in in Florida at noon. And, and I was talking with a buddy yesterday. The fact that Tennessee and Florida were not the SEC game of the week on CBS uh, that week, I think it was South Carolina and Georgia. It's more an indictment on Florida, if you ask me. I'm not saying Tennessee's going to be Florida. I'm not saying Tennessee's going to lose to Florida. I'm just saying Tennessee has not had much success against Florida, especially in the swamp. However, I do not think Florida's going to be particularly good this year. So I think it's more of an indictment on Florida uh, than Tennessee. So um, busy, busy news day on a Wednesday. And, of course, you got it all right here on Lockdown Vols. Uh, we're going to talk a whole lot of Tennessee softball, Lady Vols, and the College World Series, Tennessee uh, baseball in the Clemson Regional. We're going to uh, do a whole lot of stuff. Hopefully catch up with somebody uh, down from SC, from the SEC Spring Meetings in Destin, Florida. That is what you have to look forward to as we conclude a week's worth of Locked On Balls. That is coming up tomorrow right here on the show. Every day, appreciate you guys for being here. Thanks so much for uh, tuning in to another episode of Locked On Balls. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>